Amen. That deserves a holy shout, don't you think? The Lamb has overcome. Let's say that on three. One, two, three. The Lamb has overcome. Amen. Amen. Well, let's hear from the risen King. Take your Bibles, if you would, and stand as we hear God speak to us through His Word. If you need a Bible, take a pew Bible, and you can turn to page 657, because we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 25. The Bible is God speaking to us. Let us hear the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We've heard God speaking to us. Let's pray that we will have hearts that are quick to hear and quick to obey. Join me in prayer. Father, we come and we rejoice in the good news that your son is risen. He is overcome. He is risen and glorified and lifted high. And it's in his name that we ask that you would open our hearts to not only hear, but to obey that which we are about to hear. May you speak through your spirit, through your word, through our pastor. May you speak to hearts who are confused, who are guilty, who are scared, who are worried, who are anxious. And Father, may you speak to all of our hearts, wherever we are at, and realize that the word we are about to hear is a word of healing and reconciliation and grace to become the people that you want us to be. Lord, we desire you to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is Easter, and billions of people all over the world are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're waiting for a bigger celebration, there is none. Easter is the defining moment in all history. In fact, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is so significant that history now is split into two categories, before Christ and after Christ. And now billions of people have committed their lives to following Jesus in proclaiming the good news of the gospel. 
This morning I invite you to focus with me on the cross of Jesus Christ. As Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus who endured the cross, scorning its shame. This symbol of bloody torture and execution has become the most prominent icon in the history of the world. And even today, it is fairly common to see people wearing a cross. Some people wear a cross around their neck as jewelry. Other people wear a cross on their body as a tattoo. Some crosses are inornate. Some are elaborate, while other crosses are simple and small. And I'm sure different people wear the cross for many, many different reasons, most of which probably has nothing to do with the true meaning of the cross. So this morning, I want us to consider for the next few minutes here the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And here's what we discover. I invite you to follow along in your notes. There's an insert in your bulletin. You're welcome to pull that out and take notes, follow along, or just follow on the screen behind me. But the cross is the supreme dividing line of all humanity. It's the dividing line between those who are perishing and those who are being saved. The ancient world divided humanity in terms of Romans and barbarians, between Jews and Gentiles, between slaves and free, between rich and poor. But the Apostle Paul sets forth the only dividing line that matters. Those who are perishing in those who are being saved. And Paul says the dividing line between these two groups is the very message of the cross here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to it again. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's stop here for a moment and just ponder this dividing line with a question. And that question is simply this. Which side of the cross are you on? Which side of the cross are you on? Are you on the side with those who are perishing? Or are you you on the side of the cross with those who are being saved? Now, I don't know of anything that divides humanity more completely into two different groups than the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul emphasizes that God's wisdom is revealed primarily in the message of the cross, but not everyone sees this. What the world calls wisdom, God calls foolishness, and what God calls wisdom, the world calls foolishness. And so I want you to notice with me here the power of the cross in three simple truths here from this passage of Scripture in which Pastor Chris read for us. Notice number one, the first truth is the world is offended by the cross. The world is offended by the cross. Paul now divides this the world, or, or what he says as those who are perishing into two other groups, two subgroups, if you will, which basically represents everyone who is offended by this cross that Jesus died on. Look what Paul writes in verses 22 and 23. He says, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks 
that is just another term for Gentiles look for wisdom, but we, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. In other words, Paul is telling us that the, the Jews who are perishing are offended by this cross by which Jesus died on. And the Greeks or the Gentiles who are perishing are offended by the cross. But the question becomes, why? Why are they offended? Why are both Jews and Gentiles? Why is the world, if you will, offended by the cross? And there are two reasons. And these are the same two reasons why the world is still offended by the cross even today. The first reason here is the cross is weakness to some people. This was the attitude of the Jews in Paul's day. The Jews, quote, stumbled at the cross because most of them were looking for power. The Jews in Paul's day were looking for glory. And dying on a cross doesn't look like power, does it? It doesn't look like glory. It looks more like failure. When somebody is crucified on a cross, it looks like defeat. It looks like weakness. And so in history, Israel, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they had been attacked by numerous powers and they were often humiliated by occupying forces. And so now, when Jesus comes on the scene, he's crucified, they are still looking for a Messiah who would come like a mighty conqueror, someone who would defeat all their enemies someone who would reestablish their kingdom for them here on this earth and return Israel to its glory days. Jesus dealt with this misunderstanding many, many times while he was here on this earth, which is why he told people not to spread the news of his miracles. Jesus didn't want to start a political movement. He didn't want to start a political revolution that would overthrow the Roman government at that time. Rather, Jesus intended to start a spiritual revolution that would overthrow Satan's power and establish a spiritual kingdom that would last for all eternity. And since the Jews didn't understand this, they didn't understand that their Messiah had to suffer, that Jesus had to die on the cross, they tested him. They did this constantly by demanding of him signs and miracles. But Jesus is not a genie who performs miracles on demand so that we can then judge him and assess his claims and test his credentials. Some people did believe when Jesus performed miracles, but most people in Jesus' day, they sought his miracles simply because of what it gave them at the moment. And then they walked away. And they walked away in unbelief, such as the feeding of the 5,000 as one example of that. But today, people still demand signs and miracles, which is nothing more than a barrier, a wall, if you will, to being open to God and the things of God and what the message of the cross proclaims to us. For example, we may think to ourselves, well, I'll devote myself to this God if he heals my child, if he changes my life. I will follow this Jesus if he sorts out my marriage. To my satisfaction. I'll acknowledge Jesus as Lord if I can maintain somehow my independence and kind of live my own life. And when God doesn't meet our demands, we walk away. Most of the time in unbelief. Stumbling over the cross as weakness. 
The second reason why the world is often offended by the cross is not just because it's weakness to some people, but the cross is actually foolishness to other people. This was the response of the Greeks. To them, the cross was foolishness, and so they laughed at the cross. They actually ridiculed it, mocked it. They looked to wisdom. They looked to philosophy. They looked to worldviews that, quote, made sense out of life. In other words, they wanted something that they could explain, a worldview that helped them to understand the life in which they were living. They wanted to understand death in the universe. After all, if you can't explain life, you remain in control of it. It conveys a sense of false power. And so the notion, then, of a man hanging on a cross to save the world, well, that's just utter nonsense to these Greeks. But notice what God has to say about the world's wisdom in verse 19 here. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And then what's interesting, Paul asks, three rhetorical questions in verse 20. He says, where are the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer? In other words, where is the philosopher of this age? Paul is simply asking the, quote, wise men of the world, listen, which philosophy out there, which worldview out there has discerned God's marvelous plan of redemption through the cross? And of course, the answer to that is none. And the fact that they laugh at the cross and consider it foolishness is evidence that they themselves are perishing in their sins. Here's Paul's point. No philosophy, no worldview can have lasting significance if its center is not on the cross of Jesus Christ. The world's wisdom is merely superficial wisdom. Why? Because the world's wisdom cannot reconcile men and women to the living God. And nothing is more important than being reconciled to a holy God, the living God. No wonder Paul then says that in the cross, God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. And so the world is offended by the cross. Some people consider it weakness while other people consider it foolishness. But Paul says, listen, we preach Christ crucified. Second truth, notice this. The world is not only offended, but the world is judged by the cross. The cross is God's supreme word of condemnation to those who do not believe in the message of Jesus Christ. Paul called those who dismiss the cross as foolishness, he says to them, those who are perishing. That's his description. The cross of Christ was judgment, not of him, but of the human race. Jesus' crucifiers thought they were condemning him, but in nailing him to the cross, they condemned themselves and the rest of humanity. And anyone who scoffs at the seriousness of sin needs look no further than the cross. Anyone who doubts or denies the power of sin to condemn needs look no further than to the cross. 
What sin did to Jesus Christ on the cross is an illustration of what sin will do to us if we refuse to believe in him for our salvation. Listen, sin was judged fully at the cross, and there is no other remedy to deal with our sin. We live in a culture, though, that doesn't like to acknowledge sin. In fact, I would go so far as to say we live in a culture nowadays that refuses to acknowledge sin, refuses to even admit it about ourselves. We want to excuse sin, often deny it, minimize it, but the cross strips away all the veneers that we try to add to kind of hide the reality of our sinfulness. When we see Jesus Christ on the cross as our substitute, it reveals God's holy horror of sin. Written across the bleeding, broken body of Jesus as he became our substitute, our sin bearer is God's word of judgment in Ezekiel 18.20, the soul who sins shall die. And so the cross of Jesus Christ, it shows our complete inability to save ourselves. The cross, in other words, strikes at the very heart of our pride. You see, the cross announces in letters dripped in blood that you cannot save yourself. Only God can save you from your sins. And no truth is harder to accept than this truth. It teaches us that there is nothing that we contribute to our salvation except our sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die alone. Do you remember who died with him? There were two thieves on either side. We often focus on the third thief who cried out, Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And we know that that man, the thief on the cross, one of them was saved because Jesus told him, Today you will be with me where? In paradise. But don't forget that there was another man hanging beside Jesus on his cross. And he, he cursed the Son of God. And he died. That man died in his sins. Think about it. The cross that saved one damned the other. The world is offended by the cross, and the world is judged by the cross. But there is also hope. In fact, there is salvation in the cross. Notice the third truth here. The world is saved by the cross. I'm so glad the Bible doesn't put a period on a sentence before it's time. The first half of verse 18 here speaks of judgment. But do not miss the second half of verse 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the very power of God. And so what people call foolishness, God actually ordains as the instrument of our salvation. What men mock, God raises up as the only means of salvation. Later on, Paul would write in verses 24 and 25, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
Do you see what Paul is, is saying here in these words? He's saying that when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we see, we see the very thing that the Jews and the Greeks were seeking but didn't know where to look. You see, the Jews, they wanted to see God's power displayed. And the Greeks, they thirsted for wisdom. And God's word says, in essence, look at the cross and see God's power in the cross. See God's wisdom displayed in the seeming foolishness of a Savior hanging in weakness and suffering on the cross. Do you want to see God's power at work in your own life? Then look at the power of the crucified and risen Lord to transform your life. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 1.16. He says, the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greeks. In other words, to all peoples. Isn't that interesting? Seekers of power, seekers of wisdom, can both find satisfaction in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that is great news. Because we are powerless when it comes to dealing with our own sin. We are powerless when it comes to being reconciled to a holy God. But where we are powerless, God is powerful. The gospel is not simply good advice, nor is it good news about God's power. The gospel is God's power to those who believe. Notice this in your notes with me. Because of the cross, my sins can be forgiven. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, my sins, your sins, can be forgiven. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 2, 13 and 14, he, that is Jesus, forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, God did. There is nothing except your sin that stands between you and God. Our sin causes a great barrier between us and God. But when Jesus died on the cross... He became our sin barrier who paid the penalty for our sins. And so now our sins can be forgiven. And we, we can now be reconciled to a holy God. We can have a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ because of his work on the cross and the power of his resurrection. Because of this cross which the world mocks, which the world scoffs at, listen, we can be forgiven of our sins because of the cross number two my life can be transformed radically transformed listen the cross has the power not only to forgive us of our sins but to transform our lives and that's good news for all of us this means through the power of the cross sinful habits can be overcome negative attitudes can be reversed Strained relationships can be restored. Poor personality traits can be refined. And temptations can be resisted. I love what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a 
new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so because of this cross that Jesus died on for us, listen, my sins can be forgiven. My life can be transformed. And then number three, my hope can be eternal life. John 3, 16, perhaps the most famous verse in all the Bible. Most of you could probably quote it from memory. It simply says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not what? Perish, but have what? Everlasting life. When we read this verse, we may wonder if whoever really means whoever. And the answer is, yes. When Paul says Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, that means anyone can be saved and have eternal life. In other words, Christ's death on the cross is for all peoples. No gender or tribe or language or nation is excluded from God's salvation in Jesus Christ. Some of you still may be wondering, but can God save me? You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. Are my sins too great to be saved by the power of the cross? Listen, there is no sinner here who, or who has ever lived or will ever live that Christ's work on the cross is not sufficient to save them from their sins. I like what the late pastor Adrian Rogers used to say, there is no one too good to be saved and no one too bad to be saved. It's rather interesting to read John chapter 3, which we find this most famous of all verses, John 3, 16, to read that chapter and to read John chapter 4 together. In John chapter 3, you find the story of Nicodemus. And in John chapter 4, you find the story of the woman at the well. Nicodemus was a very well-respected leader and teacher in Israel. He was at the top of the social ladder. He was a religious leader. And if you would look at Nicodemus' life, you would think, that is a good man. That is a moral man. But then you go to chapter 4 of John, and you would find the story of this woman at the well. And this woman at the well was a hated, half-breed Samaritan who was a five-time loser in her marriage. In other words, when you look at the life of this woman at the well, you would think to herself, that is a sinner bar none. She's the worst of the worst. And yet Jesus said both Nicodemus and this woman needed to be saved. And both were saved. The power of the cross is able to save both. There is no one too good to be saved, Nicodemus, and no one too bad to be saved, the woman at the well. And so here's the question. How is one saved then by the cross of Jesus Christ? Notice this in your notes on the screen. You must trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
The death of Jesus Christ on the cross cannot save you unless you believe or trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.21 again reminds us of this. When Paul writes, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. There the Apostle Paul tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, in that not of yourself. Why? It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then, of course, again in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, what? Believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so salvation depends on trusting Jesus Christ by faith. It's more than just believing facts about Jesus. Listen, lots of people do that. There are many people who acknowledge that Jesus walked on this earth. Even the demons believe in Jesus, the Bible tells us, but they are not saved. And so to trust in Jesus Christ means to rely completely upon him for your salvation and not on yourself. To trust in Christ means to repent of your sin. It means to acknowledge before a holy God, I am a sinner, Lord. I have broken your laws. I do not measure up. And there is nothing within me that can do so. I confess that to you, God. And then by faith, to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ to save you. You say, well, how, how do I do that? How do I receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is available to me by faith. It's by faith alone. It's not by anything that I could ever do, but simply by putting my faith in Christ's work on the cross that he died on to pay for our sins. So have you received Christ's righteousness by faith? Or are you still trying to stand before a holy God in your own self-righteousness? Are you trusting in Christ's work on the cross for your salvation? Or are you trusting in your own work, in what you have to offer to God? And so as we conclude here this morning, I, I throw out a question to you to ponder, to consider, to, to look inwardly and think about seriously. And that question is this. It's the most important question of all. What does the cross of Jesus Christ mean to you? Is the cross just a religious symbol that you may wear or may not wear, that you may or may not have tattooed on your body? Is the cross just a reminder of an ancient crucifixion and nothing more? Or is the cross something you wear around your neck? Is it, or is, this, is the message of the cross stamped on your heart? Listen, the world is offended by the cross. And if that is your situation, if you are offended here this morning by the cross, then really I have nothing more to say to you except that I pray God will change your heart and open your eyes. The world is judged by the cross. And as long as we cling to the filthy rags of our own self-righteousness, then the cross stands in judgment over us. 
But Paul also reminds us, and this is the good news of the gospel, that the world is also saved by the cross. And this is our hope of salvation. The hope of Easter here ultimately points us to this question. Are you going to trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Are you going to believe in Jesus for your eternal life in the forgiveness of your sins? Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Before raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus says in John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks this heart-penetrating question, do you believe this? On this Resurrection Sunday, that is the ultimate question for you to ask yourself. Do you believe this? Do you believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ? And what he accomplished on the cross for you. Let's pray. And as we prepare for our response time, we said at the beginning that the cross is the supreme dividing line of all humanity. And so again, which side of the cross are you on? Those who are perishing or those who are being saved? How do you receive God's gift of salvation? Again, it's by repenting of your sin and asking for the forgiveness of your sin and the gift of eternal life. And I pray that you will do just that if you have yet. I pray that you will run to the cross as your only hope of salvation and that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This response time is an opportunity to do just that. The, the praise team's going to sing a chorus and right where you're seated. And the, you can cry out to God. You can pray to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. There's even a prayer there in the bottom of your notes that you can utilize as a sample prayer. Of course, you can always pray in your own words. God sees your heart. And it's the heart that matters. Are you willing to humble yourself and confess your sins before him and cry out in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ? And if you're ready to do that, if God is tugging on your heart through the Holy Spirit, through the words of God here this morning, don't put it off. Don't run away, but run toward him. Run to the cross and receive the gift of eternal life here this morning. Pray to him in your seat. Our Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit draw men and women to your Savior. Grant your faith to those who do not know you. And may you grant the blessing now that someone would come to Jesus Christ and find the forgiveness they need and be reconciled to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
praise team's going to sing, will you respond? Will you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior?